I'm sure that when you complain about something, it's always warranted. You're not like the guy, and I promise I'm not making this story up. The guy who a few years ago took to Twitter to complain to Domino's Pizza. He wrote them a tweet that said, uh, Yo, I ordered a pizza and it came without any sauce or cheese. It was only bread. Now to their credit, Domino's Pizza got back with him and apologized and told him how to make it right. And the man had to leave a reply and said, Never mind, I opened the box upside down. Now, some of you all won't get that until you order your next pizza. But I'm sure every time you complain, it's always just perfect. You never come out sheepish in the end. It never looks foolish. It's always exactly the right thing. And We all know that so often when we find something to nitpick about or complain about, we usually end up looking pretty foolish in the end. In our hyper-connected world, it's so easy at times to complain and just share all of our nitpicks and all the things we're upset about and everything we just don't like. Just let everybody know how terrible things are and how dumb that is and how ridiculous this is. And it's so easy to do that. And that's even true about the church. If things don't go the way I think they should go, if things don't make me feel just the way I think they should be, it's so easy just to tell everybody how dumb that was, how foolish that was, how terribly I'm being treated. And the world likes that. The world likes it when we complain. Because they already think that we're a bunch of hypocrites. They already think that we're better than thou. They already think we're, we're terrible people anyway. And so... All we're doing is reminding them that they're right. That, that what they think about us is exactly right. We are a bunch of hypocrites. We are a bunch of people who make mistakes and all those things. And when people look at the church, they're looking at imperfect people. But I came this morning to remind all of us that the church should be the best imperfect place on earth. And what I want to do this morning is walk through some simple reminders about the church. Because I want us to think about the beauty of the church as God designed it. The, I know this isn't a word, the imbeauty of what sometimes we do with it. But how we also should present it to the world. And having done that, I want us to make four very practical observations the end of how to live that out in our world. But first of all, let's make sure we mention this point to begin that the divine side of the church is perfect. There is something about the church that is perfect. In fact, there are a lot of things about the church that are perfect. Of course, everything that God has revealed in Scripture about the church is perfect. The church was in the mind of God before even the foundation of the world. He made sure to, to, to tell us that Christ is the head of that church. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Everything about 
the church that Christ has, the God has revealed, excuse me, through Scripture is absolutely perfect. This is not meant to be a full list. There's a lot of things missing, missing from this list. But you read through the New Testament, and there are so many things mentioned to us about the church, and by definition, every one of them is correct because they're things that God has revealed. And God always says and does that which is perfect. The plan of entrance into the church is perfect. The way it's revealed in the New Testament to us is absolutely perfect. Jesus Himself is the one who said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. We can agree or disagree with that being a quote-unquote good idea, but we'd be wrong because it's a perfect idea. Jesus gave the, the entrance plan, if you please. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that those who did that initially were added by the Lord to the church. There's nothing else in Scripture that tells us that people did this other thing and that's what added them to church. And so somebody says, well, what about like you know praying the sinner's prayer or just accepting Jesus into your heart or let's baptize babies so that they're saved later? That's not perfect. God's plan is perfect. Whether I think it's the way it should be or not doesn't matter at all. The organization of the church is perfect. This has been talked about a lot in the Sunday morning class in here over the last few weeks. It's also mentioned the end of Wednesday night class uh, as we're going through the uh, video series in there. But some people can look at the, the organization of the church and say, I, I can go with a better plan than that. We had a big fancy org chart. And there used to be all kinds of, of fancy things about superstructures and all this stuff. When, when God tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 that there's overseers and deacons and, and, and Christians and uh, saints, they're called there. That's, that's it. The elders shepherd, they oversee, they lead. Deacons serve in special roles to help make sure that gets done. Preachers, I don't know, preach. What a concept. Members simply work and, and do things under the oversight of the elders, and that's it. There's no need for a superstructure. There's no need for anything else, in, in, if you please, the org chart, because the plan that God has in place, by definition, is perfect. And that's true in each congregation of the Lord's people. The, the goal, the mission of the church, what, what are we supposed to be about? Well, sharing the unsearchable riches of Christ. Making sure the manifold wisdom of Christ is known to all people. We're to glorify Christ and help people come closer to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be about. Now, the other things we do from time to time, yeah. We, we help the poor. We do other things like that. And, and that's something we need to be doing, of course, to follow the example of Christ. But to what end? The end is always to glorify Christ and to draw people closer to Him. That's the goal, the mission of the church. There are a lot of organizations, groups, businesses, and other things where you can find certain kinds of help. You can find financial help or relational help and different things like that. And that's all well and good. There are many groups and organizations that can help a community be built up, and that's all well and good. There is one, if you please, organization or organism that will draw people closer to Christ. That's the church. That's it. That's our goal. That's our mission. Everything else falls under the, the umbrella of that goal, that mission. And it's perfect because that's God's plan for the church. The leader of the church is perfect. Christ is the head. Ephesians 1.22 That being true, there's no reason to try to add to that. Well, we, we don't see Jesus in this life, so let's have a, a, a person sit on a throne and lead our religion so that we can at least see our, our leader. No. God's plan is perfect. Or I, I know Jesus is the head of the church, 
But some of the things he said and taught don't fit in our culture. So while we will say he's our leader, he's our head, we're going to kind of excuse some of the teachings and, and brush them under the rug and not, not deal with those things because we, we don't even know. Our head is perfect. Our leader is perfect. What he says goes. By definition, whether people like it or not, it is absolutely perfect. The destiny of the church is perfect. We're going to heaven. Those who... Nobody amen that. I'm so disappointed. I was expecting like, finally, he said something encouraging. We're going to heaven. And only those who are in the church are going to heaven. But the destiny of the church is perfect. Now, could you add that list? Of course. I didn't put worship up there. The worship is outlined in the New Testament is is perfect. We didn't mention on the list specifically the Scripture, of course, is perfect. The, the plan, the design that's laid out in Scripture. There's a lot of other things. I understand that. But I wanted to lay down just a few just to remind us that as far as the divine side goes, what God has revealed is absolutely perfect. We can we can try to change it, but we're going to be absolutely marring something that's perfect. And you really, if you think about it, technically, you can't change it. Because once I've changed it, I no longer, no longer have what God has laid down. What God has laid down is perfect. The divine side is perfect. However, the human side is imperfect. No offense. But I ain't perfect and you aren't either. That's all there is to it. There is no one to work with if we try to work with perfect people. Now, this point and the next one will bleed in together. This will be a very brief point. But I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. Because in 1 John chapter 1, while you're turning there, you can keep in mind it's 1 John, not John. But in 1 John chapter 1, John is writing to Christians. The we, the us in these verses are Christians. Okay? That may seem really obvious. But it's very, very important for us to understand this concept. Look what he writes beginning in verse 8. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we, Christians, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we, Christians, confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, Christians, say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Now, is he saying Christians sins from time to time? Yeah. But now cross the chapter break. John didn't write chapters. He just wrote a letter. Look how he begins what we know as chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I wanted to make sure we included that verse to remind us God is not saying that it's a good thing that we sin. He doesn't write scriptures so that, oh, well then they can go out and do stuff that's wrong. No, he doesn't want us to sin, obviously. But he also knows that we will at times. And so that's why you have the end of what we know is chapter 1. If, if I as a Christian say, I don't have any sin. What's John in chapter, verse 10 of chapter 1 with? I've made God a liar. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? I've made God a liar. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, Romans 3, verse 10. He's not saying, I want you to sin. 
But he's saying as Christians, we still will. Christians are the best people on earth. But that doesn't mean we're never tempted. Christians are the best people on earth. But it doesn't mean we don't fall into those temptations from time to time. In fact, he gives us that way out in verse 9 of this chapter, confessing our sins. And if we do, God is faithful and just to forgive us those sins. What a beautiful thought that is. So the human part is imperfect. God has laid down a perfect plan, but we come along and we, we, have, we still have sin in our life. We still have difficulty. But the goal is sanctification. If you have never underlined, highlighted, circled, boxed in, put flashing lights around something, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, especially the first part of the verse, I really wish you wouldn't. I mean, maybe not the flashing lights because that would be really weird in your Bible. But that verse begins by saying, this is the will of God for you. What is God's will for my life? We get asked this from time to time. Paul wrote it. For this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. That's the answer to the question. What's God's will for my life? Your sanctification. And you go, well, that'd be wonderful if I knew what sanctification meant. And I get that. It's one of those words we don't use all that often. The English Standard Version has a footnote that says holiness is another way of translating that word. That's a good way of putting it. You can also translate the word as purification. That's a good way of putting it too. You may have heard me say before that old-time preachers used to talk about two S's we all need to have. One is salvation, the other is sanctification. We should pursue both of them. Obviously, at one point in our life, we should pursue salvation. We want to be saved, if you please, initially from our sins. We do that, of course, by that entrance into the church. Baptism washes away our sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. But once I've done that, then what? Sanctification. That's the will of God for the rest of my life. And you read through the concept of sanctification or holiness, and it's one of those things, it's a process. Our goal in life, God's will for our life, is a process of being more holy, being purer, if you please, being more like Jesus each and every day of our lives. That's a process. There are times we will look at our lives or certain areas of our life and we'll think, you know what, I did pretty good today. Not in an arrogant way. We'll say, you know, I, I did a little better today than I did yesterday. Great. But then I look at Jesus and I think, I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. Because in this area of my life, I'm not as holy as I should be. In this way of interacting with other people, I'm not as pure as I should be. In these thoughts, I'm not as holy as I should be. In my motivations, I'm not doing it for the reasons Jesus would have done. In my actions, I'm not doing the things that Jesus would have me to do. It's a process. But the fact of the matter is, we should be able to say over the course of time that I'm closer to Jesus. I will never achieve that, but I'm closer to Him tomorrow, will be tomorrow, than I am today. And by His grace, I'm closer to Him today than I was yesterday. That's a process that will only end in glory. And you think about that same concept, by the way, in the life of a congregation. You have some who have just been Christians for weeks or months. Are they saved from their sin? Yes. They were baptized, their sins were washed away, but they know, if, if they're honest with themselves, they know that there's still a strong pull for some of the things they used to do. 
Maybe it was an addiction they were involved in. Maybe it was just some people they were around that still pull at them. And they, they really struggle with that. And they, and they struggle with, with, with how to interact and, and how to feel about those things. And, and that process of sanctification is quite difficult for them. They know I've got a long way to go to be like Christ. But then you have others who, who have been Christians for years or even decades. And you may think, man, they're perfect. But you, you really talk to them and they say, you know what, I'm not there yet. I, I've, still got, I've still got some things where I know, I know that I'm just not there in, in attitude or in action or whatever it happens to be. And that process then is just continually ongoing in the life of a congregation, of those who are trying to, to do this to where they grow closer and more Christ-like each and every day of their life. And it's one of the reasons it's so important for us to be together and walk together, is you can help me and I can help you. Not because I'm perfect, because we're both imperfect, but we're both trying. We both realize I've got things I've got to improve on. And you may look at me and say, you've got a whole lot more than you think you do. And that's not a bad thing if you know that. Because I can look at you and say, then let's walk together. Let's have this process be working together. It takes being willing to admit wrong. But it also takes being patient with one another. Some more than others, let's be honest. Sometimes you look at somebody and think, how could they possibly still struggle with that? And you know what? They may be looking at you thinking the exact same thing. Or they may be wondering, why won't he help me if he knows? Why won't she help me if she knows? The goal is sanctification. To be more like Christ. Now, one word of warning before we go into some practical points at the end. The word of warning is this. Don't celebrate the sin. You go, well, duh. But here's the thing. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, and I'm going to be very careful how I say this. I hope you know, I've thought about how to say this for a long time. Sometimes in our world, we want so much to present to the world. Look, we're not perfect, that we end up almost celebrating that fact. We, we want so much to, to be real. And it almost comes across as that we're happy that we struggle with sin. Folks, sin is never anything to celebrate. Sin is never anything to draw people to. It is wonderful and fine to tell people I was lost and Jesus saved me. We need to tell people that more often. It is fine to admit to people, look, I'm a Christian, but I do still struggle with some things. That's, that's fine to tell people. But far too often, we can come across as, look at us, we're a bunch of sinners, instead of coming across as, look at Him, He's our Savior. He's the one we're pointing people to, not us. And we very, very carefully how we talk to people about these struggles. So it doesn't come across as, well, they're just a bunch of sinners too. I, I knew that anyway. No. They're a bunch of people who, yeah, have sinned their life, but they don't like it. And they don't want it. And they want to change. They want to be more like Jesus. And they're trying. There's a major difference in that. So, how do, we, how do we make this practical? 
What, what does it actually look like? We, we could build a long list, but let, let me give four, just four practical things. What are some things that, that we can do, we need to do, individually and collectively, to be the best imperfect place on earth? They'll kind of recap our points, but the first one simply is to go back to the book. In other words, what God has revealed as perfect, we better not try to change. We don't need to try to draw people to something that's not what God had intended in the first place. I may or may not understand certain things about the church as far as the why. Why did God do it this way? It doesn't make any difference. I may think, you know what, in modern America, doing it this way might make a bigger impact. It doesn't matter what I think. If God has revealed it in Scripture, that's it. By definition, that's the end of it. But that takes continually searching the Scriptures to make sure that what we are teaching, what we are practicing, is what God revealed. We don't need to do it just because it's our tradition, just our way of doing things. Is it God's pattern? Is it God's plan? And so we cannot just, well, I've gone to church for 20 years. I know they do things, right? Do you? When's the last time you read the Scriptures to make sure? And to make sure that you individually were doing those things. I mean, the New Testament teachers, for example, that were to sing without the instrument, we've done that this morning. You've heard me say this before, but a whole lot of times, we're really, really, really good about defending the fact that we don't have instrumental music, but that we defend the fact that we actually sing. Because we're supposed to be. Am I really doing what God has said to do all the way through? All the way through. A second principle is to be in strong fellowship. This does not happen if we don't know each other. Now, I'm not saying we can know every fact about every person who's a member of the church. I get that. There's a bunch of us, and hopefully there's more as time goes. I get all of that. But the more time we spend together as a family, the more we will want to walk together towards heaven. Arrive a few minutes earlier. Okay? Stay a few minutes later. I know some of you are all like, 9.30, are you kidding? That's early. I can be at work at 8 in the morning, but 9.30, that's not a big start. But yeah, stay, stay a few minutes later. Attend fellowship activities. Last Sunday there was a fellowship meal. We, we weren't here. <laughs> We were at a congregation last Sunday, by the way. They also had church eat church, thankfully. Because if they hadn't, my kids would have been here. They, they were so upset missing the pot. I said, I got a potluck there too. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be all right. The only problem was, it's a great church. Wonderful congregation. Food everywhere. One plate of chocolate brownies. I'm worried about that congregation. One. One. They're obviously not a faithful church. I get back here, by the way, Wednesday night, it's you should have seen the brownies. like, I don't like you anymore. But when there's an opportunity to be together as a Christian family, be together as a Christian family. Sometimes they're organized like potlucks or silver liners or youth devotionals or things. Sometimes it's just being together in our homes or out to eat or whatever. But being in strong fellowship, getting to know one another, talking about life, talking about struggles, because that leads into then, we need to confess when we sin. A few weeks ago, uh, last leader Sunday morning, Ben Riley preached, Noah and I were both gone. 
And if you were here or you listened later, you may have noticed Ben said, Adam's going to preach a sermon kind of like this in the future. This is that sermon you're going to say anything like it. I know, because Ben and I are very different. Okay, but This is where those sermons are going to overlap to some degree. I am blown away and grateful by how often we have people respond publicly to the invitation. I don't say that because it's like wonderful to put on Facebook or how cool it is. or It's... It says something about this congregation that people are not afraid, ashamed, whatever, to, to actually step out on the aisle and come down here and say whatever they say. I never want that to stop. I, frankly, I wish it happened every time, not because I'm preaching, because it says we're trying to be more like Jesus. But here's something I get concerned about from time to time. If someone comes down here and says, you know, I have this particular sin in my life. Would you pray for me? Of course. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. You know, James chapter 5. But someone comes in and says, I've just got some sins in my life. I need to work through them. Would you pray for me? We will. Of course. But go find someone to confess those sins to. Don't think that just saying, I'm struggling with something, is confessing the sin. I'm not saying you have to tell us every last little thing you're going through. But talk to an elder. Talk to Noah. Talk to me. Talk to a, a wise Christian lady or a wise Christian gentleman and say, look, I, I needed those prayers because I was simply struggling in my life and I needed the encouragement and the building up. But here is what I am struggling with as far as sin goes. Please pray with me. Please help me. Please study with me. Please give me godly counsel. If Christians are still harboring the sin, but they feel encouraged, that can be a problem. But when we're encouraged and then confess the sin, that's when sanctification happens. Because we're encouraged to do what's right. We're encouraged to be more like Jesus. By the way, tying these last two practical things together, the last time somebody responded on a Sunday morning, I talked to him for a second. I was standing over here. I think it was with Bryant Beams. And there was a line, as there always is, from about here to probably about where Ben is sitting right now. And whoever it was I was standing by, I said, this never gets old. The line. If somebody responds, please don't leave. Please don't leave. Encourage. Build that fellowship in that moment with that person who had the strength and the courage to say, I need to do better. That's where fellowship begins. But it continues with confession of here are things I'm struggling with. And we're going to work through them together. And then number four, practically speaking, Present the best of the world. This circles around how we started. Share the good about the church. Don't lie. Don't, don't fabricate something. But if something good happens, share that. Tell the world, we struggle with stuff, but this was wonderful. We had a baptism this morning. We had you know, two people respond asking for prayers this morning. We, we had good attendance this morning. My Bible class is going good. Whatever it is, share the best of the world and be very, very careful how you share difficulties with the world. 
it's okay to say I still struggle. But it's not okay to make it seem like I'm glad about that. I'm really, really glad. I'm really, really glad that God accepts imperfect people because I fit right in. It's always got to work with. But God accepts imperfect people who don't want to stay that way. We sometimes sing the song, Just As I Am. I love that song. But I don't want to stay just as I am. I want to come just as I am. But I want to leave more like Him. And that should be our goal every day of our life. The church should be the best imperfect place on earth. God's side is perfect. But our side, well, we're people. But if our goal is to be more like Christ, then we're doing what He wants us to do. How do I become part of that church? You've already said it. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And when that happens, Acts 2 reminds us the Lord will add you to His church. We don't vote you in. If you please, God voted you in right then. Because He washed your sins away and He added you to the church. There are some people in this room who've never done that. We're thankful you're here. But it's time to do that. It's time to have God add you to His church by having your sins washed away. Once you've done that, then what? This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. Am I more like Christ today than I was yesterday? Am I striving to think, act, talk, be like Christ more now than I was before? If not, I need to make some changes in my life. And maybe in a public way, you want to respond and say, I need prayers of forgiveness or prayers of encouragement. We'd love nothing more than to pray with you. Will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.